4 o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Cole Kublik coming up from uh, ESPN and SEC Network in about 15 minutes. We'll get into uh, Alex Leatherwood. He got to see him play. He's an SEC guy. We'll talk offensive line. Uh, Adam, we've decided if we're going to talk about Alex Leatherwood a lot for the next couple of weeks and the controversial selection of Leatherwood, then uh, we need some experts in. So I've joked that you played O-line in high school, but. Sorry, man. It's not a joke. Sorry. Well, I mean, I've, I've joked like that you're qualified to talk about sure. offensive linemen in the NFL because you played in high school and got, you know, reverse pancake by Frank Mir. It doesn't doesn't really work. He blew me up in the hole for sure. He got you. He got you. So, uh, Kubelik, who played at Auburn, we'll get into that. Actually, uh, Raiders just added another offensive lineman, and I, I do think they, they've, they've created what looks like incredible competition before the season for all those defensive back spots. Uh, but I think you know this. They they still need some depth on the offensive line. they got to find some gems to build some depth in the two level. Yeah, for sure. And and, and maybe not. Maybe, they, maybe they're looking for guys that could potentially start. I mean, when you're bringing in a bunch of you know, younger players and unproven uh, you know, rookies and, and just kind of building – I think what they're doing is taking a lot of swings and hoping that some of them are home runs. And you stockpile some young players and maybe some of them pan out. That's that's the hope when you're trying to build this way. You had an established group that was very talented but getting older and very expensive, and now you're going the other direction. So you hope if you hit on you know one or two of these guys, then you're in a pretty good position. And uh, Markel Harrell uh, was a guy who was, played at Auburn a year ago, was on the practice squad last year. In a couple different spots, kind of bounced around, didn't play in any game. So uh, we'll see what he develops into. Uh, but right now, they're just kind of adding guys. Like, hey, let's see who can work out. Uh, big Al Villanueva, no longer a stealer. And we mentioned early in the week, hey, could he have been a candidate for the Raiders? He did get a good check, good deal from the Ravens. So going to the rival from the Steelers to the Ravens. He's guaranteed $8 million. I think he can make upwards of $15 million. So probably out of the Raiders' price range, especially think, uh, since I think the Raiders are probably still looking for more help on on defense. But uh, Villanueva on the way out took a swipe at someone? Yeah, and I think he's I think he's just trying to make friends in, in his new locale uh, okay. and maybe take shots at, uh, you know, now that he's rivals with the Steelers, the team that he played for for a long time. Uh, just kind of show where his, where his allegiances lie now. Uh, but he's saying uh, that he's very excited to go play for the Ravens, where they run the ball a lot, which is good for an offensive lineman. Uh, but he said, quote, I'm assuming it's not as much fun for the receivers because they're not getting all of the catches. They're making the TikToks, and they're having fun on their social media. Like, Okay. Wait, what? Uh, that's clearly yeah, I was gonna say, can't, Juju. Can't imagine who he was going after. Say it again. Uh, I'm assuming it's not as much fun for the receivers because they're not getting all the catches. They're making the TikToks and they're having fun on their social media. All right. Shot across the bow. I mean, who else could it be? Like, this is definitely it's, a shot at Juju. Yeah, it's Juju. No doubt. So, like, 
he's making it clear he's switched sides in the rivalry now. I mean, now that he's getting the check from the Ravens, uh, screw the Steelers. Uh, someone might want to tell him the Ravens were in on Juju and could be again next year. I think so, that was part so, of it, too. So, so he might be your teammate again. Well, I think that was part of it, too, of, you know, maybe he didn't want to come here because, you know, they run the ball too much and they're not getting you all the catches and, you know, you don't have, maybe you don't have as much time because you're blocking. You don't have as much time to make TikTok videos. So what'd you make Aaron Rodgers and this report that he was telling his teammates, hey, you know what, don't sign on here because I'm leaving. And then a bunch of guys did sign on, Aaron Jones and, and Bakhtiari got, you know, big deals, so they stayed around. So what does this mean? Is that, is that a lie? Did they ignore him? What's the deal here? Well, I think, you I you think, think he was more, really telling people before last season, like, I might not be here. I thought it was more free agents. Oh, just free agents like, outside the organization. Yeah, guys who were thinking about maybe coming to Green Bay right. of saying, like, well, you can come here if you want to. If, if guys called him up and said, hey, I'm thinking about siding up there and go play together. He's like, well, not, not with me. I'm not going to be there. I'll be gone. Which I don't know if he was or not. It would, if he was doing that, it would probably tell me he's definitely not in his mind going to be there because why would you sabotage potentially having good players come and play with you if there was any chance you were going to be playing i think that's the biggest part of the story is that it's not just that he's saying he's not going to go there if he was really doing that it's pretty clear that he's not going to play all right so we've been saying that packers fans are pukes for turning on rogers some of them are turning on rogers is that actually a good reason to turn on rogers like dude what are you doing if you don't want to be here don't tell players not to sign here maybe now you're screwing us over maybe it just says that he's honest so he's trying. He's trying to tell people the truth and not not be you know shady about it. I don't know. I, I'm trying to find a way to spin it, I guess, in his favor. But yeah, it's not it's not ideal for sure uh, to to be putting your team in that position and, and your teammates. And, and even if you were leaving, like why would you do that to your to your teammates? It's not them that you're mad at. It's a very weird situation. And, and every story that comes out is you know I, I guess leaked from the other side to try to make people look bad. Uh, this one certainly is not good for Rogers. What do you think of my idea that I floated last hour that Matt LaFleur should not be acting like he's in the middle, he's the head coach of the Packers, that he's in the middle in this whole thing between the GM and Rodgers? Why doesn't he pick a side and pick the Rodgers side? Like, it sounds like he has been out of the loop at times as well on personnel. Shouldn't he be mad too? Mad for Rodgers? Sure. And the, guy's, the guy is 26-6. and six. A lot of it is because of Aaron Rodgers. Now, I'm not saying Matt LaFleur has to be obnoxious about it, because uh, you don't want to somehow torpedo your chances to get jobs in the future in the NFL, but if it didn't work out, he'll get a job somewhere else in the NFL. Like, why not throw your support behind Rodgers? Yeah, unless unless what you're thinking is, well, what does Rodgers have maybe two years left? And, and if I do do this, then, um, you know, clearly you'd be burning bridges in Green Bay, but would you also be burning bridges other places? As you said, um, he'd get another job. But would other organizations, at least well-run organizations, look and say, hey, listen, we saw what you did there. Yeah. You, t- you sided against management. You sided against the general manager. You, you know, sided with a player in this battle, and you picked your side. So why would we bring you in? We don't know that you're going to be loyal to us now. And I don't know that that's the case. I just think it, it's, that's a possibility, too, that he's just concerned about how that perception might come across. The, uh, the former... Fullback for the Packers, uh, John Kuhn said, 
on a radio interview, he's confl- he said of Rodgers, he's conflicted because this man loves to play the game of football. This man loves to be a Green Bay Packer, and this man truly sees careers. He's watched friends leave. He's watched Brett Favre's career toward the end. He's watched all these things play out in front of his eyes. He's taken notes throughout his career. He's seen some situations that uh, didn't feel were done or finished the way that they could have or should have. So he's just trying to take his earned destiny within his own hands. Yeah, and I know him and, and some others. I think. By the way, I read that verbatim. If it sounded weird, so I read that. That's how he said it. That's how it was quoted. Yeah, I just thought it was a bit awkward. Uh, it was a little bit. And, and uh, James Jones has said some things too, um, where he just said he thinks it's fixable. Um, everything, maybe. everything is. But is it? Well, yes. It, but in this case, it's like ninety percent of the responsibility of fixing it is on the Packers' side. I mean, I, I agree to a large extent, but is isn't the damage done? I mean, what would you do? Would you cut? Do you cut Jordan Love? Is that what he wants? I mean, he said we think he just wants the general manager fired. Um, that's not really a small task. That's a pretty big order to say, hey, we're moving on from the general manager because of this player, and then leaving your yourself in position of hey, in the future if you have another quarterback. If Jordan Love gets to the point where he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Is he won his own general manager? You know, you know what? You're right. Maybe it's too late, and the time to do it was before the draft. And to me, what they could have done is, in a quarterback-hungry league, trade Jordan Love, get something for him, get some draft capital, maybe a player, uh, then go and get more help in this year's draft. They could have got – well, I mean, it's And they sounds, certainly could have done it a year ago instead of spending the pick on Love and, like, then, and also A.J. Dillon, who's buried on the depth chart. Well, that was a ridiculous pick. And, and I think so was Love to a large degree, but it sounds like – they at least like love enough that if they do make a trade, they won't be looking for a quarterback in return, which right, I get it. tells you a lot. But, like, yeah, if they wanted to make the trade, they could have done the trade for the third pick and, you know, two or three additional first-round picks down the road. They could have had their choice of any of the quarterbacks in this draft besides, uh, you know, Wilson or uh, Lawrence. So maybe they didn't like either Fields or Lance or Jones. Uh, or maybe they just weren't ready at that point to make the trade. But for whatever reason – they didn't, and they could have had that third pick. It's pretty amazing. We'll get into this situation with a guy who played football in the SEC. We'll break down some of the offensive linemen in the draft and certainly get uh, his opinion on Alex Leatherwood, who the Raiders took at 17 last Thursday. Cole Kublik from ESPN and SEC Network on the way. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. You know Mike Mayock. I know you talk to him often. Why do you think he and the rest of Raiders brass uh, like Leatherwood so much in terms of his qualities, and also why do they believe he's an outside guy instead of a guard? couple things. One, wait till he shows up in Oakland, or in, I'm sorry, in Las Vegas, and you see this guy physically. Um, he's, he's the most physically imposing tackle in the draft, not even close compared to guys like Slater. And I actually saw him more as a guard myself. I think he can play tackle. I think he'd be a good tackle. I thought he had a chance to be in a Pro Bowl level guard. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. That was the voice of Jim Nagy. He was on with us yesterday, head of the Senior Bowl. And uh, he's one of the guys who said, hey, Leatherwood was going to go before the end of the first round. So maybe that's why the Raiders didn't want to trade back. The Raiders love Alex Leatherwood, and we want to lean on guys who cover the SEC, saw him play, and more importantly, played the position. And Cole Kublik is one of those guys, and he's up on Cofield and Company. Cole, how you doing? 
Hey, doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, let's get into this. Um, you know, this is always interesting how we grade drafts. Um, I don't mind grades, but I don't believe they're the gospel, and I also don't believe that pre-draft mock drafts are the gospel either. So what was your reaction to Leatherwood going 17 to the Raiders? I was surprised only because so many people said that it couldn't happen, that it wouldn't happen. But I'm, I'm not surprised at all as, as far as the talent and as far as the ability and the ceiling of Alex Leatherwood. I mean, keep in mind, it's a guy that played some right tackle. He played guard for a season. Uh, you know, came in the national championship game. Freshman filled in for an injured Jonah Williams and was able to be successful there at left tackle in the middle of that game. The guy's just gotten people blocked. He's got some dominant film that's out there. He's been consistent. He's technically sound. I think he's got great length. He's got a perfect tackle frame. And I was just – the only reason I was surprised is just that so many people were essentially saying that he was tackle, I don't know, what, four, five, six, seven, eight in this draft. And I, I didn't see that. I, I, I saw a guy that was, for me, probably tackle three behind Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater. So if that's where your need is and that's the guy that you like, I had no problem with Las Vegas going to get him there because uh, I think he's going to be a successful NFL player for a long time. Well, isn't that, that versatility that you mentioned, while it's a strength, isn't it also a curse in the sense of, you know, if teams were questioning whether he'd be a tackle at the next level or a guard, and if you're a guard, the positional value isn't the same, you might fall a little bit. Like, wasn't that one of the problems with him? I mean, I guess, but I never saw him as a long-term guard. I thought Alabama slid him to guard just because they were so strong at tackle. I mean, they had Jonah Williams and Jedrick Wills, like, and, and, and Alex Leatherwood sitting there. What are you going to do? One of those guys is sliding down. And you're not going to take one of the two that started the year before. Uh, so he kind of had to wait his turn to be a tackle. But I saw some of the same things that you did. And I was I just kept thinking to myself, I mean, this guy's wingspan looks like it's nine feet. Like, what, what's he going to do at guard? He just he seemed too long to be a guard. And even though he was successful playing it, I never really saw that as sort of a long-term solution for him. I always viewed him as a tackle in the NFL. He has good enough lateral movement. He's got good enough feet. He's got a great punch. I, I, I just didn't see him as a guard in the NFL. I thought he's the guy that, okay, if there's an emergency scenario, a couple of guys go down, he needs to fill in there if he's backing up at tackle, or if maybe your next best tackle on the roster is not as good as your next guard and you want to slide him down, that's fine. It's good that he brings that extra value, but I, I never looked at him and said, oh, no, this is a guy that can't be a tackle in the NFL. He needs to move down to guard. So we, of course, everybody watches SEC football, but you you pay attention very closely uh, to what's going on. Uh, one of the things that I've heard is, well, you can't really judge him accurately because he was on a line with so many blue chip guys that, as a unit, they were they were just so good. <laughs> he had a better line at Alabama yeah. than the one he's going to. Yeah. Like as a unit, they were just so good. Like how can you judge them individually? All right, well, you could go back to Jedrick Wills. He's been successful with the Browns. He played on teams that were up for the Joe Moore Award. Panay Sewell's team was a finalist for the Joe Moore Award. He had three guys. Now I think it's four guys drafted off that offensive line from 2019. We, we could do this every year. It's, just, it's no different than the whole Mac Jones, Devonta Smith, or Joe Burrow, and all the weapons, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, that he had when he was playing there at LSU. I mean, it's, if you got great guys around you, yes, you're going to have better opportunities to be great. But, I mean, the, the, the reality is at tackle, he was by himself more than any other position on the offensive line, be it center or guard. So he's been a lot of one-on-ones in pass protection, in run-blocking scenarios, and he proved time and time again against the best defenders in college football that he was going to be able to handle that. I mean, you go, 
that's the thing that, about some of the you know some of these draft scenarios and the way guys are broken down is well we, we want to talk about Panay Sewell and we want to say well Panay Sewell what's the level of competition who did he play against well who the hell did Trey Lance play against <laughs> right when no, nobody's beating him down and you're getting mad about him going third I, so it just sometimes the comps and the comparisons and why we like a guy and don't like a guy they just flat out don't make sense just judge the player that you saw what does he bring to the table. Can he be good? Is he a good fit? Is he going to be a long-term solution for your team? I think Alex Leatherwood checks all those boxes for the Raiders. Cole Kublik with us, uh, talk show host in Birmingham, uh, also a sideline reporter, football analyst for ESPN and the SEC Network. Man, I did not like – I like Jamar Chase. I think he's going to be awesome. Um, and maybe this is a motion you know, that I'm getting wrapped in because Burrow's sideline right now after getting cracked in half last year. I didn't like the Bengals passing on Sewell. Not at all if it was me. And you know, I said this with Van Pelt uh, last week that to me, Joe Burrow is your lottery ticket. And, and like you mean, you guys are camped out in a city right now where a lot of people hit a lot of jackpots. If you hit a gigantic jackpot, the first thing that we all probably should do is go find personal security. We get a lottery ticket. We win the Mega Millions. We win the Powerball. I mean, you win a $2 million jackpot. You should probably find personal security. But what do we all talk about? We want a Lambo. We want a private jet. We want a beach house. We want a lake house. I want a Rolls Royce Ghost. Whatever it is when we probably should make the smart decision, which is, hey, I just won half a billion dollars. I'm going to go hire a former armor ranger, and he's going to live across the street from me. He's right. going to protect me and my family every day. Okay. That's what I, I mean, that's what Panay Sewell could have been for Joe Burrow. He's your lottery ticket. He's your jackpot. He's your mega millions. I mean, he's the dude at the casino that goes on a 24-hour tear and takes home $5 million. And I thought the Bengals sort of acted like a fool, and they went and got the Lamborghini instead. Like, they bought – you know, they bought the Ferrari. They went out and bought, you know, this new hum- electric Hummer, and they went and bought the Rolls-Royce Ghost, and they bought a couple hours on the PJ instead of going out and get some personal security so you can buy all that stuff for the rest of your life. I, I didn't love it. I do like Jamar Chase. I did have Jamar Chase as the number one receiver in this draft. I understand there's going to be some extra chemistry there, but the dude who's going to potentially get you to the playoffs, like you just said, he was broken last year, and he was great before he was broken. I want to make sure that guy's on his feet as much as you can. I would rather see Joe Burrow with B-plus or B-minus weapons actually in games than Joe Burrow with A-plus weapons not able to participate in games. What's the point of that? So I'm with you 100%. I thought the move was to go offensive line. I think Panay Sewell's a generational talent. And to skip on it, in my opinion, was the wrong move. I'm going to – I'll sound like I'm disagreeing even though I'm not because I agree with you guys. Uh, but what about the argument to say, hey, who, what what would make you better? What would make you more successful, Joe? And if he says, hey, working with that guy who I know where he is at all times and I know how to get him the ball right off the line of scrimmage to beat any kind of pressure I could get, that will help me more than getting me a tackle right now. If I was a head coach and offensive coordinator, I would say, Joe, why in the F are you an NFL quarterback and you don't know where your receivers are going to be on every play, first and foremost, all right? Second off, we were just proven last year that we can't protect you. You got put in the hospital. I don't need you going to see Dr. Andrews anymore. <laughs> like, let's – you know what? I'll communicate through our headset every down on where the receivers are going to be. We just need you on your feet throwing the football, and that's why we're making this move. That's a pretty good argument back. That was strong. <laughs> that was strong. Let me go back to the Raiders, Cole, and uh, – as a former offensive lineman, I want your take on this. We talked to Eric Wood, who played at Louisville and then, you know, with the Bills for like 10 years, and I was asking him about offensive line coaches and how they're different and how important the coach can be. And the Raiders really trust in Tom Cable. 
Can you kind of break down the different coaches you've been around? And uh, not saying like there are good ones and bad ones, but there. I, what Eric Wood was saying, there are different styles of offensive line coaches. No, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm I have no pleasantries for the guys that I played for in college. Uh, you you may have heard stories about Rick Trickett. Uh, none are safe for radio. When you guys go to SiriusXM, call me back, and we can have some yeah. fun with some of those conversations. Um, but I do think it's important, especially in today's football, because you have so many guys that are coming through different systems, and Alex Leatherwood won't have this problem coming from Alabama because it's a very pro-style, pro-friendly offense, especially last year that he played in. But so many guys are playing in these hurry-up offenses where it's slide protection, gap protection, quick protection. And then, you know, backside of the offensive line, they're just letting people go. They're sifting up to the next level. It's all about creating space more than it is actually gaining movement. And it's all about protecting as a unit as opposed to protecting as an individual. And that doesn't prepare you for the NFL. Sometimes the terminology, sometimes the technique fundamentals that you're asked to utilize just don't translate to the NFL. You know, it's kind of like some of the old Miss kids that came out a couple of years ago. Like you looked at him and you said, he hasn't taken a professional pass set all year. How is he end up going to go and be great? And a, and a couple of them have been great still. So it's sometimes guys – I mean, Greg Robinson at Auburn. You know, he was a guy that wasn't asked to take a lot of professional pass sets. He had trouble finding his way in the NFL. So it's a definite risk. I mean, and it's one thing that people don't talk about with the Patriots. You can kick back and forth, Brady, Belichick, value. You know who was a part of all of those championship runs? Dante Skarnecchia, one of the best offensive line coaches in the history of football. So I think now more than ever, it's important to have someone that continue to help guys develop. Like, I mean, Panay Sewell is still kind of raw. Like, Trey Smith, who, by the way, was the, the absolute Ocean's Eleven. I mean, he was the Danny Ocean. Kansas City would pull the Danny Ocean of this entire draft getting Trey Smith in the sixth round. The guy's got legitimate first-round tape out there, and he still has room to grow. He only had two padded practices before the 2019 season. Then he goes through a COVID offseason – where he's still not practicing in full pads the majority of the time. Like, he, he's going to grow. He's going to get in front of some guys, and they're going to say, man, this kid hasn't reached his ceiling. This guy still has more potential. And I think Alex Leatherwood, after talking to Kyle Flood about him a few times, he believes he has room to grow as well. So it's not just someone who can organize, who can help, who can put in the right position. You still need development at the offensive line spot in the NFL because so many of these guys are playing in systems and schemes that are offensive line friendly that are essentially the guys that are pulling the strings, calling the plays, utilizing the X's and O's, are trying to work around a lower-tier offensive line rather than utilize a great offensive line. And you've got to develop guys that are coming from systems similar to those. Were you more surprised with Waddle going ahead of Smith this year or Ruggs going ahead of Judy last year? Not Ruggs last year. And I was actually a fan of the Ruggs move last year because number one, it was a deep receiver class. Same thing with this class. Uh, The one thing that kind of bothered me I'm not going to – I mean, I would have gone Smith before Waddle. That's just me. I think he, he excels at all three levels. I think he's got an amazing catch radius for his size, and he's a guy that's a little bit more durable than people give him credit for. There, I mean, you could go Marvin Harrison. You can go Deshaun Jackson. There are other guys that have played under 190 pounds in the NFL and been successful. But if you were going to draft that guy, which one of them was very different? So you look at the smaller receivers in this draft, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, Kadarius Toney, and then a guy that went to the second round that I absolutely loved, Elijah Moore. Then you could even get into your Rondell Moore and Tutu Atwell. There was, just, there was a boatload of those guys. Last year, it was a deep receiver class, but none of them ran like Henry Ruggs did. That dude brings a different gear. 
So I'm okay stretching for that because get someone who does things that no one else does. It's kind of like, I know it's not receivers, but it's almost kind of like the Kyle Pitts of this draft. Like you stretch or you go out of your way to get Kyle Pitts because there ain't another guy like that in this draft. No one ran like Ruggs did. So bring in the guy that does something different that can help make your offense more difficult to defend. And the only complaint that I had about Waddle, Smith, Tony, any of them was there was proof sitting right in front of you that you could go to the second round and get a guy who's physically not a lot different, who is just as productive in an Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. Or maybe you do take a step down physically in stature and you get a Rondell Moore in the middle of the second round. Or you go a little bit further and you get a 2-2 Atwell in the middle of the second round. I just felt like there was a lot of that particular guy. It's why I do believe Jamar Chase was different. But I had no issue with Ruggs last year because none of them ran like he does. And I, I, if you're going to go stretch on somebody, stretch on the guy that brings something different to your offense or your football team that forces you to be defended in a different way, and Henry Ruggs offers that. Cole, last one, we're talking to Cole Kublik, who does uh, radio in Birmingham and is uh, all over the uh, ESPN family. You can hear how much he knows about football. You mentioned a term earlier, the punch, which I want you to talk about Tim Tebow potentially trying to make the transition from quarterback to tight end. Not the easiest thing uh, when you're trying to make the NFL, and all of a sudden you got to learn uh, all new skills with your hands. Yeah, I don't, I don't know an individual that has gone. I mean, Antonio Gates may be the closest, but someone that has gone from never having blocked someone to then excelling at blocking someone, and that's tight end, receiver, offensive line, fullback, whatever. Like that's not an acquired. Like that's not that's not in your DNA. You're not born with being able to block. I tell people all the time. The only way to be a great offensive or defensive lineman is to do it, and to do it full speed against somebody who's trying to make you look bad. That's it. That's why this new NCAA rule where they're going with, like, the 7-9-9 model with seven, you know, more practices in helmets, that doesn't benefit O-line, D-line. So the growth of that position, development of that position, is going to stay behind because you need to at least be in shells to be able to engage with somebody else who's trying to whip your ass on a regular basis. And that's not happening often, so... I would say chances are extremely slim. Tim works his rear end off. He's as diligent of a worker as anybody out there. He'll give you great effort, but a guy that I don't care how tough or how physical a quarterback is, Tebow, Cam Newton, Tommy Frazier, I'm never going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, he'll be able to go to the NFL and block Von Miller in pass pro. (laughs) That won't be a problem. Uh, I could absolutely see him. Uh, you know, going up against a Terrell Suggs and, and reaching him on an outside zone play. Like, what are you talking about? No, I, there's no way I ever believe that that's going to be feasible. Dang. All right. Well, I guess he should still try, but it's, it's an uphill climb is what you're saying. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough one for Tebow. Well, he's, he's, in a, he's, he's in a place where the head coach is going to be trying to help him out. Right. Geographically, he's in a place where it would it's going to benefit them for it to make it happen. So, They'll put him in situations where he's not going to be asked to do that on a regular basis. But at some point in time, if you're going to play that position and be on the field, you're going to have to do it. Be it pass protection, be it run blocking, and you're probably going to have to do it by yourself, which let's just be honest, there's not a ton of tight ends that are even decent at blocking themselves. That's the thing, the thing that I love about Kyle Pitts. Like he's at least willing. Like you look at DeAndre Washington, this press this is about to be a sophomore tight end at Georgia. I mean, he's 6'7", 285. Is he a dominant blocker? No, but he's willing. He'll put his face mask in your chest and he'll try. Right. Like, you've got to at least give me the will to be able to do it. And Tim's just never been asked to do it. So it's going to be extremely different from him. Cole, we appreciate it. That was awesome. And thanks for being flexible with us today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys.
There he is, Cole Kubik, ESPN. You know that the uh, that punch thing all goes back to the conversation we had with Johnny Stanton about uh, I don't know whatever it was three months ago because you know Johnny was at UNLV in Nebraska, and JUCO and quarterback, and he played some linebacker. But he mentioned it's like the hardest part was like learning your the freaking handwork with linemen when you you know you come up the freaking punch you know and he's like it's not easy to learn. You just did it. You have it down. I don't have it down. I don't even know what the hell it, it, it is. I have no idea. I mean, that's what you rely on me for. My offensive you're line off, you're, you're Silverado. You guys were the, you guys were schooled. You guys were drilled in the punch. The punch. Yeah, you go right right into the sled. That it, looks yeah. it's perfect. Perfect form. I feel like Angel, who you might have 100 pounds at least, um, would, would pancake you after that punch. Nah. That's strong. Strong hands. They go around you. That's not a pancake. It's different. It's a good point. I actually, I, just, I moved the goalpost. You're saying on that one. like Leatherwood, I have problems with the speed rush, dude. I didn't see you play, so I have no idea. And I think you were in better shape in high school. I hope you were. Uh, right now, probably better. Hey, you're actually yeah, you're getting in a better shape now. <laughs> uh, interesting. I heard Mayock uh, do an interview on satellite earlier today, and uh, you know one of the things he brought up. You tell me if this is a good or a bad thing, and this is kind of why the the Raiders. If you want to call it a bad thing, they're stuck um, drafting guys, a lot of guys from Alabama and Clemson and Power Fives, right? Although they did take you know, Malcolm Kuntz out of Buffalo. Mayock was saying pretty much everyone they nabbed had tape for 35 to 48 games in college football. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? Well, I think it was on purpose. I don't think it's – I don't think it's – Is it just this year, you know, especially yeah. they, they, they amped it up? making sure they got experienced guys and they got to see a lot of tape on them because well, there was so much, uh, you know, so little information, especially with the medicals. And, you know, you just you, could, you couldn't analyze like you have in the past. I think more than the tape, it was they said last year one of the problems was the adjustment a lot of players had to make to the NFL with a, you know, virtual offseason not being on the field enough. And they said, well, one way to counteract that would be to draft a bunch of guys that have a ton of experience and they're more prepared to step onto the field in the NFL without having to go through – a full off season because they don't expect to be a full off season this year. So they want guys that are more experienced and ready to take that next step. And uh, you'll notice no, you know, no opt outs, anything like that. They don't want guys that are having to get back into shape or get up to game speed. They want players that can just step right in, have had experience, uh, aren't rusty, and aren't um, you know aren't needing to you know brush up on fundamental stuff. They had a ton of experience in college. And they're ready to now take that next step without having to be overcoached in the offseason. Stick around with us. Um, much more on the way and giveaways. How about that? Giveaways. That's a tease, right? Much more on the way. Giveaways. Uh, we're about uh, 12, 13 minutes away from giving out another Vegas Golden Knights jersey, which also qualifies you for tickets to the game this Saturday against the Blues. With 77-cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights Hockey Game Nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. One owns a meat slicer, the other an air fryer. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. C'è la luna mezzo mare, mamma mia, Any guesses on the slicer and the air fryer? One owns a slicer, the other an air fryer. Don't you have both? I do have both. So, so you're both. 
I, have I, I think I think one of them was for you because you're, you're an air fryer guy. You love steak in the air fryer, nice and crispy I mean, and green. I did it once. I know. <laughs> it's, all, it's all needs to happen on this show. You do something once, it means you do it every night. Well, it's, it's like what I referred to the other day with the coffee order of, um, you know, people like lump me in with these. That's why I get so the mad about the coffee was, order. The coffee order was a weird uh, coffee picture that got sent out from Starbucks where someone named Edward had like 17 different items he needed in this Frappy drink, and then everybody else started sharing. That's Adam Hill. Everybody else started sharing these ridiculous orders. They're like, "Yep, that's Adam." Like, no, no, I have a very standard order. And but then everybody that goes to coffee shops gets bad names because of these ridiculous orders. Yep. And that's not, by the way, not coffee. That's a milkshake. That's dessert. Of course it is. It's not coffee. It's like an eighteen dollar milkshake. Right. So don't lump me in with just because I go to the same place these people go to. Don't lump me in. With, I'm not one of those people. Air fryer today. Uh, well, I, you know what? I'll tell you the whole story here. Uh, by the way, the fat pack. Every day we talk some food, whatever. You know, whatever you want to get into. Our conditioning, our old eating habits, stuff we've made, stuff we like, stuff other people make, kitchen appliances, wherever we want to go. So yesterday I was talking about more disgusting eating habits, and I mentioned that I really don't eat breakfast. I just have a pot of coffee in the morning and then finally eat at like 1 o'clock. On the way to the show. Sure. That's when I have time. Sounds about right. Uh, so I did have a very caring listener reach out. Uh, let me find it here. Uh, message me. Um, Crib said, uh, love the show. Heard the fat pack. I battle weight, too. I do have to recommend you try to eat something in the morning. I know it's hard when you're not hungry, but it'll be a key aid in any type of weight loss. Okay. I can buy that. That makes sense. I, I mean, I've had this discussion before. Um, I think most people that talk about these things, listen, I'm not, I have no idea, but I feel like most people, when they talk about this, are assuming people that live normal lives, right? Like you wake up at seven, you go to work, you go to bed at 10. Right. And because and, I used to have this, this argument with uh, another friend of ours all the time that was like, well, you don't need dinner. You, don't, you can't eat dinner after six o'clock. And I was like, well, what if you wake up at, what if you're like a shift worker and you wake up at 4 p.m. and you go to bed at you know 7 a.m. Right. You can't eat after 6 o'clock. Nope. 6 o'clock. That's the cutoff. That's when the last time you can eat. And I'm like, your body doesn't know what time it is on a clock. What are you talking about? <laughs> so your point is, yeah, if you eat at 8 o'clock at night, you're still up for another eight hours. Right. And moving around. You're not right. just lying around that, watching that, TV. That, I mean, that, and, and, and this... This notion of like, nope, six o'clock—that's the cutoff. Okay, I, I guess so, but I don't think you're taking into account people that have different schedules. So I listened to a crib who gave me the advice. So I made some twisty bacon, which is very controversial okay. according to one of our content providers. TikTok. Well, it's from TikTok. The twisty bacon. It made it to the Today Show, and uh, Brady was getting all over me for the twisty bacon, saying it looked like a doggy snack. No, it does for sure. It that's... does, but it cooks the bacon pretty damn well. It's very crispy. But does it taste any different? Not, no. It's it's good. Then why? But you can also, you can, bacon can be inexact. So you can overcook it, you can undercook it, and then it's all chewy. But this also, this also goes to my point about plating. Uh, there, at, at home, there's, I, well, the, here's the other, you notice I'm not sending out pictures of the egg I made in a coffee cup and chopped up with my twisty bacon. Okay. I wasn't posing it for the internet. It wasn't a plating issue. So my point is, I listened. 
I had breakfast, so I'm good to go. We're this is the this is the right time of the show to just spiral because it is just general, general food talk. Fat pack. Um, I do watch. There's a there's a, an awful reality show that I watched. Uh, season two just came out. I got all the way through it already because I love it. Um, but I, I'm guessing you did not watch the Circle season one. Uh, I didn't watch season one, but I, I watched episode one of season two. Okay, really? You jumped into season two? Well, I wanted to try it. I I'm, already said it's a great show. It's unbelievable. I got to try it. And it's, he jumps in on the second season. It's a bad show, but I love it. I, I got all the way through. And one of the things that I did notice from watching the show is you see them cook a lot. Because basically yes. what it is is they're they're isolated in an apartment, and they're only communicating with the other players through like a basically through like an Alexa kind of system. Like instant messaging is really the only way you communicate. So you're basically sometimes you're having conversations while you're cooking. I don't think any of them can cook. I was, I was very, uh, I was very wow, encouraged. Okay, you were encouraged. I was saying yeah. for you to be cocky and call out other people. No, I, I literally can't do anything. Literally nothing that involves cooking. Like I've said this before, I've tried to make like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. The the ratio's off. It ter- it's, it's terrible. I can't make anything. I feel like you're with a PB and J sandwich. You're a bread ripper. Of course, you just annihilate the bread no, with the, the with the peanut butter. I don't think that's. I don't think that's lack of cooking i think that's bad bread right i mean that's i think if you, you get a bit could be a, bad could be bad bread prep you have to get a better quality of bread i feel like uh but yes better of course knife. of course rip better things apart. yeah tear 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 it apart if i try to do it i can't can't do anything but what i'm saying is i feel like i'm not alone because the people on the show when you're watching them cook you're like all right they have no idea what they're doing either i, I like that maybe the only reason i like the show I forgot the slicer. I did slice up a bunch of cheese. It was nice. Got some. I've got some cheese for the week. Got oh. some, I've got some Gouda. I've got some spicy cheddar. I've got pepper jack. I've got regular cheddar. Seems like a lot of, like, too many varieties of cheese. Colby jack was what I sliced up, and then I sliced up some provolone. Why did you slice up so many different varieties of cheese? Because I like cheese. It's fine, but, like, for how, how long can it last for? It lasts a while. I mean, are you selling bulk <laughs> like by the pound <laughs> cheese? Like, what are you doing? I have those deli bags, and people just come over. And I just hey, here you go. Here's a bag of cheese. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have. It's good for six days. I have quite a bit of cheese. I feel like, but I don't think I need like seven varieties. I think by the time you'd get through three of them, you'd, they'd go bad. We'll see. Okay. I think I know what I'm doing. You got a lot of crackers? No, no crackers. What are you putting with the cheese? Nothing, just cheese. So you're just randomly eating cheese throughout the day? Sure. Are you a mouse? I don't know why you're so shocked. What's the problem? Seriously. I, I just don't, like, I'm kind of just con- confused. There's by nothing just... more lovely than a nice little cheese plate. Maybe you throw some meats on there. A little cheese platter. That sounds like a, like a, a nice like Saturday night get-together kind of thing. It could be an every night get-together type of thing with myself. It's just a lot of cheese. It is a lot of cheese. But I like it. Okay. So that's what the sl- I'm just showing you. I'm using the slicer. Good. It's good to know. Aviators return tonight. <laughs> they do. Fat pack rolls on. Aviators tonight. Are you going? Not today. Oh, wow. It's been a while. This is pretty incredible. It's exciting. What we've been through. Really what the aviators and their employees and minor yeah. league baseball players have been through. For sure. And it's been since you know September 2019 since there's a game out there and... 
just when people are getting used to having this unbelievable stadium to go to and watch games, everything shuts down. And, you know, it sucks for us as fans, but as you said, for employees and players and all of minor league baseball in general, it's, it's cool to have it back, but uh, very cool that, you know, we can start going to games again and checking it out and uh, enjoying the ballpark and all that it has to offer. Uh, I've, you know, been fortunate enough to go out a couple of times during uh, the shutdown and you just get reminded like, man, this place is so awesome. It's so awesome and cool that it's going to be in use again. Is there a new app in place? Is this for, are you talking about for the Aviators game? Or I would assume with COVID this doesn't apply yet, but you found an app that can help fans at games? Yeah, it's, it's a new app that I think they're going to try to launch in other places. It sounds like this is local, though, uh, this, new, this new one that they're trying out where – you know, back in the day, it's called uh, Love Seats is the app. Okay. Uh, you know, back in the day, you'd go to a game and you'd see, all right, hey, we're in the nosebleeds. Hey, look, there's there's a bunch of seats down there, you know, right behind the dugout. Let's just walk down there. Well, there was no real organized way to do it. And as you know, like, you'd go down there and it's like, you know, six pitches later, somebody would be like, hey, that's my seats. What are you doing? Then you have to try to find another place to sit. Uh, this is more a, way f- a more formal way of doing it. Um, obviously, a way to make money, I think, through by – both with the teams and with the creators of the app and then, you know, the third party that sells everybody. But uh, it is a way to, hey, I'm leaving the game after the third inning. Does somebody want to buy this seat for the last six innings? Somebody that's already in the game. Somebody want to move down? Someone to move from the upper deck to right behind home plate? I'm gone for the rest of the game. Or somebody doesn't show up. And instead of selling, you know, tickets, if, if you don't, they don't sell before the game, you don't give them to somebody – well, hey, these seats are available for the rest of the game. What will somebody pay for the last four innings? Like, it, it's a more formal way of like getting a better seat during the game. Interesting. Will you use it as a fan? I know you go to most games with a press pass, but when you're a fan, I, I you? go to plenty as a fan uh, with, especially with the Aviators and uh, other minor league teams around town. Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm, I'm more like I like to just stand in the concourse or stand outside by that at, at the Aviators game. I'll tell you where I always am, the bar in center field. It's unbelievable. Well, that park has plenty of places to get great food. So if uh, Ari sent over a story and he was like, wow, look at this food. I'm like, if Ari is into the food, you know, they've got some good food options. All right. Caller uh, 11 right now. Caller 11, 364-1100, It's your chance courtesy of Finley Volvo to win a Vegas Golden Knights jersey. That's cool. Uh, if you win the jersey, then you're a qualifier to win tickets to the Golden Knights game this weekend. It's all brought to you by Finley Volvo. Check them out online at Finley, uh, FinleyVolvo.com. Caller 11, jersey. How about that <laughs> freaking hockey sweater from us and Finley Volvo? 364-1100-364-1100. Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. Some score updates. We'll get you some numbers for uh, basketball and baseball tonight. We're down here at the William Hill Racing Sportsbook. Right by the Silver and Gold Bar. Silver Sevens. Uh, we're actually over at the Corona Cantina, but the book is right across the way. Uh, end of the first. Oh, that's weird. Rangers aren't fired up. Didn't come out strong, huh? Okay. Not much going on around them. No distractions. <laughs> uh, Boston's up 2 nothing. 
in that one. And uh, last game of the night starts up in about an hour. Vancouver and Edmonton. In the NBA, Adam, we've got the Lakers and the Clippers. Lakers a half game ahead of Portland. Trying to stay out of the play-in. Six and seven seeds right there. Lakers are getting eight and a half against the clip joint. Yeah, not a full-strength Lakers team for no. sure. Uh, but I will be interested to see how competitive they could be. They, they you know, they need to get everybody starting playing, starting playing together, uh, and it's real tough to do when the guys aren't actually on the floor. Uh, you want them to be playing at a high level when LeBron is ready to be fully healthy and, and jump in there. Uh, but it's a process, and they are not very far along in that process right now. Baseball today, uh, the Red Sox were minus 210 with Evaldi against Turnbull in Detroit. Detroit had the lead, blew it, blew it. Boston wins it 12-9. Red Sox off to a hell of a start, 19-13. and Yeah, Tigers, not great. They're not a good team. 9-23. and And as I said earlier, Miguel Cabrera is hitting 98. He is 0-98 on the season. That's not it's great. Not, it's not strong. It's no. not ideal. No. Uh, sorry, they only have like seven more years at like $50 million a year on the deal. Garrett Cole was minus 200 today. He didn't win. The Yankees didn't win. Astros, F-U-L-2, however it goes. Uh, he had a home run, so he stuck it up the Yankees fans. You know what? So he knew it was coming? Do we ever stop joking about it? Poor no. poor Jose. I actually was, I was hearing, uh, listening to a conversation the other day between some people that said, for some reason, he's the he's the one that is never going to hear the end of it. Like, it was a lot of guys doing it, but he's kind of the face of it now. Yep. Where everybody else, you've kind of, you kind of move on from, and it's fine. But him, like 20 years from now, he'll still, if he makes an appearance somewhere, it'll still be booze. Astros won 7-4. to four. Altuve had a home run. Uh, Jordan Alvarez had two home runs. Texas pulls off the upset. They have upsets. Jordan Lyles didn't pitch that well, but uh, well enough to keep Texas in the game. They win in 10 4-3 over Minnesota. Sing it. You're going to sing it with me? Joey. Did he get one? Baby. Uh, yeah, he hit a home run. His fourth home run. Um, What's he hitting? He's at a robust 223 with a 392 okay. on base percentage, and that's really what counts, Adam. It is. Hometown hero, right. Joey Gallo. You're right. Well, I, don't on, only, base. I don't think that's the only thing that counts. But. I think it is. Get on base. Doesn't, Let, doesn't matter how you get there. Last game of the night as uh, the Pujols list. Say that again. Not going to. Angels take on Tampa Bay. That could be dangerous. Angels favorite at minus 145 in that one. I kind of feel like they might have a – I thought at first I was going to bet against them, thinking maybe like they're sad to see their teammate kill, but I think it just helps that he's gone. Uh, we're going to talk about their teammate, Pujols, coming up in the Big Five. At five, we'll get back to what the uh, Raiders did in the draft and uh, looking ahead at the roster and lots of VGK news as we got to talk about uh, Flurry and Leonard. Excellent effort last night by Flurry. Great comeback by the Golden Knights. And also what the NHL is doing around Tom Wilson and the Rangers and the inconsistency. It's a mess. Thanks, Gar. It's a mess again. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.